Amen and amen. Well, uh, we're on part two, and last week we laid down a foundation of, of what it means to be a peacemaker, and I'll just give a quick review on that, and then today I want to talk about um, uh, how Paul walked that out in the New Testament. There are several different times that we see that there were significant conflicts, especially even between the disciples, and Paul, uh, he tended to be at the center of some of those, and he walked them out with grace and with love, but with boldness, and, and, and it shows us how he embodied being a peacemaker, and then we'll end up uh, in Ephesians 4 looking at what Paul said to that church, but really to the church in all the ages, of, of what it looks like to practically walk out reconciliation in the gospel, practically walk out this value of being a peacemaker. So we started last week in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers and uh, they shall be called the sons of God and how this is a foundational core value of the kingdom of God. And then we walked through the process of describing how Jesus brought peace in the gospel. He brought, brought peace by laying himself down at the cross. He brought peace between God and man and man and man. And this is our great honor to step into that very same anointing of being a peacemaker. So when there is massive division and massive difficulty happening, it's not the church's role to pick sides. We don't have a side. We're on Jesus' side. We're on the side of the kingdom of God. And so what we do is we manifest in the earth the authority, the anointing, and the truth of the kingdom. We are to bring a completely different voice into the mix. And I said this last week that there's kind of four things that are hallmarks of peacemakers. They're compelled by love. They prefer others above themselves. They risk their reputation. And they stand against the sway of the culture. And we talked about how peacemaking is not pacifism. So often somebody says, well, I'm a, I'm a peacemaker, so I'm not going to stir up any trouble. And, and what they tend to do is they ignore difficulty, challenge, they ignore division instead of being a worker of peace into those gaps, into those places of tumult. And so peacemaking is not pacifism. It's actually stepping into those divisions and manifesting the power of the kingdom through prayer, through speaking the truth, and through bringing change under the glory of God. Amen. All right, that was, if you missed last week, you got the whole message right there. Just five minutes, bang. So this week, we're going to talk about Paul. Now, the last thing I just said there is one of the things that peacemakers do is they speak truth. They speak truth. And I just want to take a moment and talk about this. You know, we have, the church has the most powerful weapon there is, it's the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And there's something that I've watched happen a bit culturally in the church, and, and, and not just our church, but the church across denominations, uh, you know, over the last, I'd say, couple decades. 
And it's that the word of God, the Bible, it can be um, sort of de-emphasized. And there is a, a emphasis on other voices, other teachings. Um, and, and I remember growing up as a new believer, they would emphasize so often to us, you have to be in the word. You've got to read the word. And, and, and I, I just, it got hardwired into me that if I wasn't reading the word, then my heart would naturally go toward the flesh and toward the other voices that I was hearing in society, the other influences. Now, the word is powerful. It, it says it's sharper than anything. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And, and the critical thought is this. In an hour where deception is rising, where opinions are rising, where there's all this back and forth and, 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 and all these heated emotions and all these emotional appeals, if we are not, not just grounded in the word, but richly letting the word dwell in us, abiding in the word, we will be easily swayed by every wind of doctrine, of thought, of, of emphasis that's coming in the society. My, my point I'm making, and I just wanted to just come out of the gate and say this. Listen, beloved, you have to be in the Word. You've got to be personally in the Word. On a daily basis, you need to be in the Word. Now, it doesn't have to look the same every single day. One day you may read a, a volume of the scripture. Another day you may study and, and be just locked in on a, a handful of passages. Another day you may be meditating on, on just a verse or two. But the truth of the matter is, if you are not anchored to the word, deception is on the rise and its influence will steal you and steal your mentality away from the kingdom of God. Amen. And so I just ask you, and you don't have to answer it out loud to me, but how is your word life? How is it? You need to be in the word and let the word richly dwell in you. Can I get a big amen? And so that's how we can speak truth. We can speak truth by being in the word. And, and I really, really want to emphasize, this is not listening to other people tell you about the word or other you know, podcasts or preachers. You should do that. That should supplement your time in the word. But see, mostly what I do and mostly what preachers do is we read the menu so that you can go away with the menu of the word and then you can richly let the word dwell in you throughout the week and throughout your days. Amen. And so we don't ever want to be a people that's more familiar with worship songs uh, than we are with the Word of God. And I've seen in this culture that gets, trans, that gets transferred a little bit. And so I really, really want to emphasize, the, the, at the end of the age, the, the, the challenge is people don't love truth. They get given over to deception, Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2, and they do that because they didn't love the truth. They didn't get in to the word of God, the truth of the word of God, and let it continue to form their, their mentality and, and rudder and guide and plumb line their lives. Okay. All right, so I want to talk about this interesting encounter that Paul had in Antioch with Peter. Now, some people kind of are unfamiliar with 
Paul and his journey. You know, when Paul first got saved, he was studying in Jerusalem, and he went through a couple different, uh, you know, challenges. Of course, he got saved on the road to Damascus, and, and he went through a, a few different challenges. After he gets born again, he, he wants to present himself to the, to the leaders in Jerusalem, and there are death threats uh, out against Paul, and Paul is uh, protected by the leaders in Jerusalem, and then he's asked to return home to Tarsus. And what Paul explains in Galatians 1 is that there's this period of time, maybe uh, commentators kind of have it between 11 and 14 years, where Paul is kind of out of circulation. He's actually not in the, the, the mainstay of the, what's going on at the church in, in, in Jerusalem, and he's not really doing any missionary journeys. Well, Paul describes this as a time where he was seeking the Lord, and the Lord was you know, he was studying the word and he was getting downloaded on, on the gospel. And, and he explains it in Galatians 1 and 2 that he, he, he didn't learn the, the, the truths of the gospel from any man. He actually learned it from his, his studying in the scripture and from the Lord himself. It's pretty, pretty fantastic. But I want you to think about something. It's just a side note. Paul was on the bench for about 14 years. You know, you may have gotten saved, had great you know, desire, zeal, and, and it may have seemed like the Lord set you aside for a little time. How many of you know, if you'd met Paul, knowing what you know now about Paul, if you'd met him when he was in Tarsus, you might think, what's this guy doing here? He's going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He's going to be the, the one that propagates the gospel all through, you know, Asia Minor and all through the known world. I mean, this guy, what's he doing here on the bench? You, you know, you'd see his great future, but Paul in that place, when he's on the bench in Tarsus, he's kind of like going through it a bit. I don't think he really knows exactly where things are going to go, but we find out that what happens is this. Persecution arises in Jerusalem, the disciples are, are scattered, many believers are scattered, and some are scattered as far as Antioch. And what happens is in Antioch, a revival breaks out, and lots and lots of Gentiles get born again in Antioch. So you find this story in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. I'm giving you backstory for context. When revival breaks out in Antioch, Jerusalem sends Barnabas over to check it out. And when Barnabas gets there, he remembers Paul from, you know, 10, 12 years earlier. He says, you know what? That guy, Paul, who is getting rich in the gospel, he wants to, I, he would love this, what's going on here. And, the, and so Barnabas goes to Tarsus, finds Paul, and brings Paul to Antioch. And Antioch begins to be Paul's, for lack of a better term, it's his home church. Antioch becomes Paul's home church. It's from Antioch that Paul does all of his missionary journeys. So there's Paul in Antioch. He's this guy that was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but he's been entrusted with the gospel to Gentiles. Now that division, he's crossing a massive divide in the culture. He's crossing a massive divide in religion. And so here's what happens as Jerusalem, as the leaders of the church, the disciples, as they begin to get wind of what's going on in Antioch, they send some of the leaders down to Antioch to check it out. They sent Barnabas. Barnabas got Paul. The power of God is going forth. The gospel is multiplying. The leaders want to go and send some guys over to Antioch to see what's happening over there. And Paul explains this encounter that happens in Galatians chapter 2, and here's what happens. 
Peter, the apostle Peter, he comes down. Now, Peter, you'll remember in Acts chapter 10, he's the one who had the vision of, of the sheet let down from the four corners that now, you know, Gentiles are allowed in the gospel. And then he goes into Caesarea and Cornelius' house and they have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and these Gentiles get born again. That's all through Peter's ministry. Well, shortly after that, Peter's going to make a trip over to Antioch and see what's going on. And Paul's there, Barnabas is there, and, and Peter's going to come down and visit. And, and man, there's liberty in the gospel. And you've got Gentile believers, and, and they're all getting born again. And it's, it's, you have to catch what's going on culturally here. It is outside of the paradigm of Jews that Gentiles would be worshiping Jehovah. That is so, so distant from any of their experiences. And so here they are, and God has poured out the Spirit in Antioch, and Gentiles are getting born again, and they don't have the, the law, they don't have the fathers, they don't have the prophets. They're all having to get this thing on the run. They're have to, having to get the back of backstory of the whole scripture. And so that's what Paul's doing there. And when Peter comes down, he is absolutely blown away and he's rejoicing for the gospel being poured out. Well, here's what happens. With the glory being poured out, the gospel salvation being poured out. So here's what happens. More of the leaders come down from Jerusalem. And when they do, there is a really unusual conflict that takes place. And Paul's going to explain it to us. He describes that before that second group of leaders came, Peter, he was sitting and eating with all the Gentiles. He was enjoying himself. He was celebrating. He was having a little barbecue on the side. Glory to God. And when the other leaders, the Jewish leaders who are now born again, but they're, they're still Jewish culturally and, and religiously, when they come down, Peter, instead of sitting with the Gentiles, he separates himself. So now he's only going to sit with the Jewish believers. And what is he doing? He's going back to following some of the cultural restraints that had been imposed by the, the old school Jewish leaders through the law. And so Paul's watching this thing, you know, and he's thinking to himself, you know, just a few days ago, we were having pork barbecue, but here's Peter over here, and, and, and now he's just, you know, he wants to act like he's a vegetarian or something. I wonder why he's doing that, and he won't even sit with all these new friends he's made. He's only sitting with his, uh, his old Jewish friends. And then what happens is some of the believers that were with Paul that were of a Jewish heritage, they also started separating themselves with Peter as well. And Paul, in the middle of a barbecue dinner, when everybody was gathered, I'm adding the barbecue dinner just for clarity, but in the middle of this time where they're all sitting down and they've now separated themselves and Peter is with this, this cohort of, of Jewish background believers and Paul is with this cohort of Gentile back believers, Paul stands up in the midst of it and calls Peter out. Now, come on, somebody. We, we, we got to get the movie or the TV show on this. 
And when, we get, when I get there, I'm going to say, can you play for me Galatians chapter 1 and 2? Actually, just, just give me chapter 2. I want to see Paul call Peter out. Paul calls him out, and we have the narrative of what happened there in Galatians 2. And Paul explains to Peter, you are operating in hypocrisy. You're supposedly a Jew that's supposedly sharing the gospel with Gentiles, calling them to live in, in, the, in the gospel that's being given to the Jews first, but you are acting like a Gentile. You're acting like an unsaved man. You haven't been straightforward with the truth of the gospel. But here's what I want to give you this morning. I want to show you what Paul does to call Peter out on his prejudice, because that's what it was. It was religious and cultural prejudice. I want to show you how Paul calls Peter out on it. And I want to call us to the same mentality because the mentality is different than what we're seeing in the world today. Now hear me. The mentality that the scripture gives us is completely different than the current mentality we see in the culture today. And what Paul ends up doing is powerful, it's bold, it's him being a peacemaker, and it's redemptive. It's redemptive. Now, let's pick up the narrative. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul says, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, James being the pastor of Jerusalem, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, the son, the, the one that was in Antioch before Paul, that saw the Gentile revival and went and said, Paul really, he loves this. Even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. This is such an unusual thing because oftentimes we think of the disciples as saints. We kind of think of them as perfect. And what we're seeing is there's all sorts of complex dynamics that are having to be worked out in the first century across religious lines. And when by Acts 15, they're having to figure out what do we even tell Gentile believers? Do, we have to, do they have to keep the law or not? And we see this Jerusalem council in Acts 15 where they're working out the details across religious lines and across social lines. I can't underscore it enough. The complexity of what's happening in that part of the world at that season of time, it's, I mean, it's almost unmatched in human history. It was only like 175 years earlier where the, the Greeks had completely desecrated the temple. I mean, it's the amount of animosity between Jew and Greek in the earth at that time is, it's off the charts. Add to that that they've been under Roman oppression, okay? 
Add to that that the Jewish uh, laws that the Pharisees were, were walking out said Jews and Gentiles cannot be together. I mean, the, number of, the, the amount of division, the amount of cultural, social, and religious division that was happening in the earth that God brings his son into is shocking. And this is what the church is born into and what the church has to walk out dynamically. So the complexity is, is, is huge. It's, it's, I mean, almost unmatched. And so here's what we realize. Paul operates in what it means to be a peacemaker. He had this revelation of reconciliation. And I, when I look at what Paul did there, I learn as much from what he didn't do as I do from what he actually did do. First thing is, Paul, he didn't get carried away with the hypocrisy. Now, let me just talk to you plainly. I've been there. I, I, before I was in the ministry, I was in sales. I was in a couple different sales jobs. I've been there where I'm the only person that thinks like I think. Everybody else is maybe unsaved or they're Christian, but they are swimming a different you know, direction. And they are bringing pressure to, to do things and to believe things. And, and, and it doesn't come like, you know, they show up and say, hey, we want to pressure you to do something. It just comes up in the, in the conversation. You know, it's the, it's the coffee pot conversation. And, and people are saying things. And, and, and almost like you are out if you don't believe this way. I've been in those places. And I've, I've felt it where my Literally, my emotions begin to burn and my skin begin to crawl because I felt the influence, the sway, pushing me a certain direction and realizing this is not the kingdom of God. This isn't the word of the Lord. You know, the term we use with young people, we say it's peer pressure. Well, the young people aren't the only ones that are feeling the effects of peer pressure right now. And I, and I understand that. Now, before I was in the ministry, we didn't have social media. Now, the coffee pot is Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And, and right now, the conversation is in your home. It's, it's everywhere because of the reach of, of the internet. What Paul did not do is extremely instructive to us. He didn't allow himself to get carried away even with this guy that Peter was, was an elder at the church of Antioch uh, in Jerusalem. He didn't allow him to get carried away in opposition to the gospel. Amazing. How bold, how anchored in truth do you have to be to be able to stand down Peter? Now remember, this is Peter. His shadow was healing the sick. This is Peter. This is the one that Jesus restored on that Galilean shore. I mean, he was there and saw Jesus arrested. This is Peter. He, he'd been through so many things. And Paul stands up to him and says, you know, you're acting false according to the gospel. Wow, wow. Well, well the other thing Paul did not do is he didn't ignore it. I mean, it would have been the easiest thing for Paul just to do the math. Go, okay, Peter, he's only going to be here another week. I mean, we can have a barbecue after he's gone, and everybody will be back together, and then they'll, just, they'll, they'll all leave, and it'll be cool. It'll be fine. It'll be, if I just, just don't, I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. I'm not going to say anything. 
I'm just going to ignore that this is happening, and, and I'm just going to I'm just going to bide my time. You know, I just want to keep the peace. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are the peacekeepers. Amen now. Is it getting hot in here? Is it just? No, he didn't ignore it either. The other thing he didn't do is he didn't get outraged. He didn't lose his cool. He didn't lose his temper. He didn't explode in anger. He didn't ignore it. He wasn't swept away with it. He didn't, he didn't get outrage. He didn't, the other thing he didn't do, he didn't use cultural arguments, pull things from political leaders outside the church to try to bring an answer. You know what he did do, which is so instructive to us? Paul centers the whole conversation on the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna give you a verse in a second that will finally get in context and you will be shocked to find out that that verse is actually to handle a cultural division and a dispute over cultural prejudice. But what Paul does is true to form, as Paul, as he said through his letters, he says, I came and I only wanted to know one thing, Christ and him crucified. The only thing that I am propagating right now is the message of Jesus Christ and the power that the cross brings us. In Ephesians 3, he, he lays it out. He says, I, to me was given grace to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to let everybody see what the unfolding plan of God is that's been hidden for the, for the ages. This is what Paul's center always was. He always brought everything back to the gospel. And the gospel has a way of leveling the playing field. It doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what culture you are, what age you are, what your history is, how educated or uneducated, how wealthy or, or how poor. The gospel levels everything and brings us all down to a simple place of need. We need Jesus. And when Paul was standing there in front of Peter, the apostle Peter who walked with Jesus, he essentially tells Peter, you're in the flesh, you're compromised, and you know what, Peter? You need Jesus. And beloved, it is powerful to see how Paul brings this answer. So here's what he says, verse 14. He says, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, notice that. He doesn't go through all the social arguments. He goes, I realized that what Peter was doing in prejudice was about him not being clear on the gospel. Can you hear that? So when we talk about cultural divides that are happening in America, we talk about American racism, we talk about all these things, there is something that is the answer that none of those other outlets are giving us, and it's the truth of the gospel. And so Paul goes, see, his prejudice, the problem is he wasn't being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Amazing. He said, I said to Peter before them all, 
If you're being, you being a Jew, living the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? He, he, he's saying this. You are calling people into the gospel that was given to the Jews, but you're living just like the unsaved guys. You're not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. And he goes through in a very condensed form. Uh, he gives us that conversation from that verse to the end of the chapter. Now, what does he do? He explains that through the gospel, we're all dead. Jesus died for us, which brought us all to death. We were, the, this, the, the judgment of sin is upon all of us right now. Through his cross, we're all dead. But in him, we all can be alive. And we're not just dead to the person we used to be. We're dead to the law that accuses us. And we're dead to the sinful nature that has possessed us and controlled us. Man, it's powerful what he unpacks for Peter. What is he saying to him? He's saying, you don't have to be that guy anymore, Peter. I understand there's social influence. There's cultural influence on you to be this, this leader who's, who's setting yourself apart. He goes, it's false, Peter. That's not who you are. You are somebody new in the gospel. Listen, you and I, we've died. Whatever we used to be is dead. When you came to Christ, your old man was put to death. Paul says it real clearly in Romans chapter 6. He says, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. You know, I, I know there's all sorts of things about overcoming the challenges of our past. And I think we need to, to get in there and help people with the trauma and the different things that have been in their soul for years. Help them to get free and get forgiveness and, and to walk out liberty in the gospel. But hear me, the gospel alone is enough. Most of our inner healing is really just allowing people, it's helping people to access the truth that's in the gospel. That's what it actually is. It's the power of the gospel that says, I used to be a druggie. I used to be a perverted guy. But guess what? That guy is dead. I am a new creation in Christ. The old man has passed away. Behold, guess what? All things have become new. And that's what Paul hits Peter with right there in a very condensed form. And then he gives us this special verse that we always quote in isolation and almost never get in context. Ready? Galatians 2.20. A bunch of you could probably quote it to me right now. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As believers, we've all been crucified with Christ. And all of our passions, all of our desires, everything we were before has been put to death. There's been a comprehensive death to the person that we were before we came to Jesus. Listen, listen to me. If you're trying to bring into your relationship with Jesus the good parts of who you used to be, that is a fool's journey. Because what we were before is deserving of hell. That has to be put to death and we step over into new life. 
That means this, my thoughts, my opinions, my, my desires, my passion, my bucket list, my dreams, all of that should be put to death and I step into him and allow him to now define for me what is valuable, what is my future, what is my purpose, what my opinion should be, what my destiny is what my plans are, and I need to hear from him the way I'm supposed to think. Philosophically, spiritually, culturally, what is this new person you've made me? Am I making sense right now? And so we can't pull over what we used to be into who he's made us because that person is crucified. Now what Paul talks about through Romans, here he's, he's giving a, a kind of a, a, a wink at it. It's this old practice where they would take a, a murderer and they would strap onto the murderer the dead body. It is in barbaric cultures. And they'd strap the, the person they murdered onto that person. And that, that body of death would then infect that murderer. And Paul says, your old man has been cut away. That the body of death might be put away. You are no longer subject to the old man. See, for you and me, the old man is who we used to be. It was put to death. Don't go strapping that old man on you and trying to walk in Christ. He says, I've been crucified with him. My old man's put to death. I am now living my life by the faith I have in the Son of God. And he is living his life through me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I, uh, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is our journey in Christ. It's being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so... What Paul does to Peter right there is absolutely unbelievable. The whole story is so dramatic. But the point he's hitting him with is, Peter, that prejudice you used to have, that's cut off. That Jewish superiority you used to have, that's been put to death. You have been crucified with Christ just like me. Come on. He says, you've been put to death just like me. And whatever your preferences were and, and whatever your sensibilities and sensitivities used to be, they have to be different now, Peter. Be straightforward about the truth of the gospel. And then Paul's going to go on and tell us in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither barbarian or Scythian, male nor female. We're all one through Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is what it looks like to walk out being a peacemaker, and to walk out reconciliation. I, I, I'm so thankful to report this, that by the end of Peter's life, when he's writing his epistles, and he, he's writing his letters, he says, our beloved brother Paul. He goes, and, and he's got so much revelation, some of the stuff, he goes, I don't even get it. He goes, some, some of the stuff's hard for me to even understand. He's got so much revelation. What's he doing? 
Peter is saying, I love that guy, and you understand that he's probably a step or two ahead of me in the gospel. See, this thing that happened in Antioch, it wasn't a severing. It wasn't a cancel. It wasn't a, you messed up, Peter. How could you? You're full of prejudice. You're a racist. Okay, I'm done with you. It's not what it was. It was Paul bringing the truth of the gospel as a peacemaker, speaking right into it, not with a social argument, with a spiritual argument. We're all one. We're all one, Peter. Your, your old man's dead. Don't act like the old man anymore. And Paul would tell us later what this looks like. How do we walk this out as believers when he was now having to address the church of Ephesus? So, see, the church of Ephesus... <laughs> Again, we're in Asia Minor in the, in the time, again, majorly separated culturally. The church of Ephesus, Jew and Gentile living together. And so when you read the book of Ephesians, you got to hear Paul. He's laying out this masterpiece of the gospel. He does it in six chapters. But what he's doing is he's calling everybody together in unity. When you read the book of Romans, masterpiece of the gospel, what's he doing? calling everybody together in unity. In Galatians, he's hitting the legalism that had infected that church, and he's using the gospel, and at the same time, he's using his favorite topic, calling everybody together in unity. So Ephesians 4, what Paul's going to do there, and this will be our last kind of thrust for this morning, but what Paul's going to do in Ephesians 4 is he's going to tie together the, the strings of the gospel and show us how to walk this thing out. Now, remember, we touched Ephesians 2 last week. We talked about how the gospel is the reconciliation of, of God and man and man and man. And Ephesians 2 makes that so clear. Himself, Jesus, was our peace. He broke down the dividing wall between people and between us and God. And then in Ephesians 3, what Paul says, he goes, Therefore, I pray... And he says that you would abound in love, the height, the width, the depth, the length, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you'd be filled with all the fullness of God. He says you're being built together. You are being built together as a dwelling place for God and the Spirit. He goes, and the way that you do that is you walk in love, Ephesians 3. Ephesians 4, he doesn't leave us with walk in love. I hope everybody just walks in love. Ephesians 4, he goes, let me tell you what walking in love looks like. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Hear me, guys. This is where the rubber meets the road. We can say we want oneness. We can say we want to be a peacemaker. We can say we want reconciliation and be a, a, you know, operating in the ministry of reconciliation. But if we will not walk out Ephesians 4, it's all just throwaway. It's just talk. Ephesians 4, Paul says this. As a prisoner of the Lord, he's writing from a Roman prison. As the prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He would say it different ways in different letters. He would say, live a life worthy of the Lord, live a life worthy of the gospel. Here he says, live a life worthy of the calling, which he's just laid out for us, that we're to be one in Christ. He goes, live a life worthy of the calling. He goes, I'm a prisoner, and I'm calling you to account. 
You're called into the gospel. Walk worthy of it. Feel the weight of that. This is not Paul going, hey, I got a few good ideas. Maybe you should think about them. He goes, I'm in jail for the gospel, church. Now, church, I'm asking you, walk worthy of the very gospel that I'm in jail for. You walk worthy of what you've been called into. I mean, he's really, he's really putting his influence as an apostle upon us. Walk worthy of the Lord. I go, okay, Paul, I hear you. Yes, sir, tell me what we're supposed to do. He goes, be completely humble. I go, ugh. I don't, how do, what? Completely humble? I'm real bad at that. I'm terrible at that. He goes, good, be completely gentle. Next thing I go, you are putting me, you're putting pressure on me, Paul. Because I'm not good at either of those. I'm awesome at being prideful and I'm awesome at being really rough and mean. He goes, no, that is not worthy of the Lord. Be completely humble. Be completely gentle. I go, you got anything else? Is there anything else? I mean, he goes, yes, be completely patient. I'm like, oh, no. I'm 0 for 3 here. I'm really good at being impatient. I want it when I want it, and I want it now. He goes, this is not the gospel. Listen to me, beloved brothers and sisters. Listen. Listen. There is a walk that's worthy of the Lord, and there's a walk that's unworthy of the Lord. Paul says the worthy walk is humility and meekness. It's gentleness and it's patience. He goes, uh, bear with one another. Bear with one another. Bear with one another. You know what he's saying? He's going, there's gonna be times when you do not want to bear with one another. He doesn't tell them to bear with one another because they'll never have a problem with somebody. You get it, right? He's saying bear with one another because they're gonna have to bear with one another. This is the exact opposite of cancel culture. Do you see this? This is the exact opposite of somebody makes a mistake once and you write them off and you're done. That is not the gospel. That is not the kingdom. That's not how we're supposed to work in the body of Christ. That's not worthy of the Lord. You know what people do in church right now? They, do, they go to church like they go to the restaurant. They go to the church and go, I, I really like how they serve their this and that, but man, their service is so, I mean, their waitresses are just, they're just rude. I'm just done. I'm going to go to a different restaurant. And, and people treat church that way, not realizing that we are set as members in the body as the Lord pleases. Listen, you need to be a part of the fellowship that God tells you to be a part of, and then you don't tell God that he's just changed his mind because you didn't like how hot the air conditioning was. Amen. Oh, man. You bear with one another. You humble yourself. You are gentle, completely gentle. And he says, in love. Make every effort, 
Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You know, one of our great desires is to be a spiritual family across cultures, many cultures, not just black and white, but many cultures, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. Uh, Let me just be clear about something. We can't be a, a people with many cultures in our body if we're not willing to do Ephesians 4 if we're not willing to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. Again, remember what Paul had to do in Galatians. You know, it means sometimes you gotta have uncomfortable conversations. Sometimes you you gotta have the talk that you didn't wanna have because the talk is gonna be difficult. That's what it means to walk worthy of the Lord. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. That's what it means to carry the ministry of reconciliation within you. Two times in Ephesians 4, Paul says, speak the truth in love. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen believers just in immaturity, unwilling to say what's really going on. They're offended, they're hurt, they're mad, but they won't say why. They won't talk it out. They won't have the hard conversation. And, and I think, you know, that's how we used to handle things when I was in junior high. But as believers who are no longer what we used to be, who are compelled by love, who have the indwelling Holy Spirit, who have been bought with a price, we're not our own, who have been crucified with Christ, and no longer it's I who live, but Christ who lives in us. We are to be compelled by love. I am bound to Ephesians chapter 4 to walk out body life in this manner, to walk through challenges together in meekness, in gentleness, preferring one another, in patience, bearing with one another, in love. Beloved, this is what it's supposed to look like in the family of faith, where we care to hear, to listen, to walk through stuff together, but the center isn't the argument that's on the news channel. The center is the cross of Jesus Christ. The only place that I can come together with any other human being, not not just across cultures or generations, but any other human being is at the cross. Last thought. This is how it plays out in every relationship in your life, not just cultural or generational or denominational, religious, whatever. It plays out in every area. My wife and I, I guess I'm allowed to say this because I'm about to. No, I know I am. But we we had a disagreement this weekend. We had a conversation and and we were missing each other. And and you know, you you that are married, you know how that thing goes, right? First, it's like a little bit uneasy. You know, each kind of looks at each other with a little attitude. Can I say a little thing, a little sharp hook on it? It's, It's low grade at that moment. And then there's that moment where well, you're just being this way. And it just, now it just goes personal. And the, the whole tenor, it just goes up a notch or two. Well, you just always, th- and we start generalizing and browbeating and big words and big, well, you know, you're just like, well, you're just, and, and you, and I, not you are. And, and, and then there's just that moment where you're like, are we about to do this? Are we about to do this? Right? And then you go, uh, and if you're flesh, is really clicking at that time. You're, you just do it. 
And then it lasts, you know, I, I found this, that arguments last less amount of time the longer you've been married because you realize it's just not worth it. So there we were at the, are we about to do this moment? Now we had a couple things going for us. We were about to go out to dinner with another couple. So we only had about 10 minutes to do this. So it's like, okay, let's not do this. Let's not do this right now. In fact, let's not do this at all. But you know the let's not do this? What are you actually feeling? What are you actually feeling? What did you actually hear? How do I make this right for you? What can I own to, get, to come back to unity? You know how that gets played out? Being humble, being patient, bearing with one another in love. Hello? Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, why am I using that example of my wife and I? I'm using that example because when we are bound together in Christ and spiritual family, it's not that much different. We're part of one another. We need one another. And we need to take the words of Ephesians 4 just as seriously with one another in the spiritual family as we would in our natural family. Am I making any sense this morning? I'm happy to report that we didn't do this. We walked it out and we were at peace by the time we got to dinner. Glory to God. I didn't tell you that to get applauded, but it did happen. Praise God. And so, beloved, this is how we walk forward as peacemakers and as reconcilers. We have the hard conversations. We bear long. We listen. We don't cancel. We walk in love. And you know what? Humble yourself. Whoever humbles himself the most always wins. Always wins. Whoever goes meek the most always wins. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand. The earth needs peacemakers. The church needs peacemakers. We need to walk out this value of the kingdom. I'm just going to pray for us and we, have, we, can, we can hang out in the lobby outside, but we gotta move out of the sanctuary so they can clean between now and next service. The next service starts at 11.15, so help us. But let me pray. Just put your hand on your heart. Lord, we hear you. We see what the scripture says. We see the truth of the word. Now, Lord, I'm asking that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. Bring us to repentance where we need to be turned. And Lord, empower us. Empower us to walk out the gospel in every area of our lives. Empower us to live the way that Jesus calls us to live. Worthy of the gospel, worthy of the Lord, worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Do that in all of us, in this spiritual family. And we be different than the world. Do that in us, I ask. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Amen. All right, God bless you. You are dismissed.